check check so hey welcome uh, it's Wednesday uh, want to give you a, a little post sermon review uh, answer a few questions today trying something new this week want to see how it goes try to be brief I'll try to answer uh, honestly and biblically for you guys so uh, I want us to consider the word. This came from Sunday sermon, John chapter two, uh, to uh, dwell on it, meditate on it, so that our knowledge of God can turn into worship. And so that's what the text was about. I'm going to go ahead and read it really quickly. John chapter two, verse thirteen. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. Making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Now, um, a few questions. Here are the things that you guys submitted. First one, what is systematic theology? Uh, I did mention in the sermon uh, something that I've mentioned before, something that my pastor used to say uh, that I held on to. If you want to grow in your love and devotion for God, buy a systematic theology book and read it, right? And then learn how to worship the Lord who, who is and has revealed himself. Um, and I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and I think he did too. Uh, but... There's, there's, there's good truth to it. E anyway, so I've said it before, um, you, you're, you're at, one of you asked, what is systematic theology? And that's a, a wonderful question, and one that I should do better to explain instead of just throwing around big words, right? Systematic theology. And I think the only way to really answer that question is to first um, answer, what is theology? And so if we understand, just like anything, you know, geography or um, other studies, the ologies or the uh, whatevers, you know, studies in, in school and education, uh, theology is, is no different uh, in the fact that it is a study of something. Uh, theos is the Greek word for God, and so that's where we get our study of God, theology. Um, it is the practice and discipline of studying, observing, um, spiritual things concerning God, how he's revealed himself, and a lot of times who we are in relationship to God. So that is theology, and everybody's a theologian, everybody's all the time practicing theology, whether we believe it or not. The atheist is a, the is a theologian because he's making observations about God that he does not be, that he is not, does not exist. Um, and so everybody's a theologian, whether you want to be or not. So the question is, if you're going to be one, you might as well be a good one, right? And so a good way to practice good theology is using systematic theology. And there's been a little bit of debate about what the word systematic theology means and whether it's useful for the church, whether the church should be taught systematic theology. I believe the church should be taught systematic theology just in the last couple, maybe decade or two decades. There's sort of been this conversation, well, shouldn't it just be biblical theology? And so it comes from a good concern, right? Yeah, we, we want our theology to be biblical. So why, why, not, why don't we just teach biblical theology instead of systematic theology? And we're really arguing over semantics, right? Biblical theology and systematic theology really aren't that different. 
To give you a definition of systematic theology, it is simply the ordered study of God. Uh, it is an overview of the major doctrines of Christianity that we find in Scripture and viewing them one at a time. So it is a systematic order to studying God. Usually a systematic theology book is going to start with who God is, how he's revealed himself. It's going to move on to the attributes of God, how he's revealed himself. And then it's going to move on to the fall of man and what is sin. And these are things called homardiology, is the doctrine of sin. Then it would move into redemption and the study of salvation. Soteriology is what that's called. Uh, and then it's going to move into the doctrine of the church, ecclesiology. And then it's going to move into the doctrine of end things, end times, right? So it's just going one piece at a time um, through these doctrines that we claim to hold to uh, in the body of Christ. Uh, and biblical theology really is not that much different in that, other than that, it's trying to take the whole sum together from Genesis to Revelation and, and piece it um, that way. And I think systematic theology is really doing the same thing, just in a different manner. Uh, so, regardless of, of biblical th theology or systematic theology, whatever your term is, just study the Lord. Study God and intake these things so you can know who He is better. Uh, let me keep moving. Another person asked, so then, follow-up question, what is systematic theology? Well, if I really want to do that, what kind of systematic theology book should I buy? Uh, and what a wonderful question. Um, I want my people to be asking stuff like that, you know. Uh, so let me, I've got a little uh, list for you pulled up. I'm going to try to show it to you real quickly here. So here's a little list on Amazon of some uh, different systematic theology books uh, that I would recommend. Um, I think I've got about 10 of them here. And I've not read all of these, but I'm familiar with all of them. And I know that they are good books, good authors that I have no question in putting before you. Uh, don't be afraid to read, first of all. Uh, I know some of y'all think, well, I'm not a reader. I'm not a reader. I'm just, I'm just not a reader. Well, well, you know what? I'm not a reader either. I, I almost failed um, many classes in high school. I hated studying. I hated reading. It wasn't until I found the Lord and went to college and began to find a, a real love for, for studying the Lord and I'm not a good reader. I don't read quickly. I don't retain knowledge the way that I want to. Um, but still, the Lord has called all of us to, to take up and read. And God has revealed himself through a book, which means <laughs> we should aspire towards reading as much as possible. Not that we have to read night and day, um, but I guarantee you, you are capable of more than you think you are. So uh, I've, I've tried to start off with the easy ones here, and they've got price tags all around um, the book so you can know how much they cost. This first one is by R.C. Sproul, Everyone's a Theologian, An Introduction to Systematic Theology. Uh, I tell you, I wish I could just buy like 50 copies of this book and, and let all of you have it, because I think it would be a great introduction um, to what theology is and how to study it. Uh, he goes through all those doctrines that I mentioned before in this you know, quick little book uh, in a very concise way and a very helpful way, and R.C. Sproul is a great teacher. Uh, just a really, really solid teacher. If you never listened to R.C. Sproul teach or any of his sermons, would, would strongly recommend that. Secondly, Concise Theology by J.I. Packer. Now, I do have this one on my shelf, uh, and it is very helpful. Um, if you want to come and check it out, I'd be happy to, to lend it to you. Uh, it is a, uh, a, a book that takes, you know, like literally two-page chapters on big topics of the Bible, 
so that you can digest them maybe one day at a time or just every few days uh, in a very light, easy-to-read way that is also just saturated in Scripture. Third, another R.C. Sproul book, Essential Truths of the Christian Faith. This is kind of Sproul's systematic theology. If there was one, he didn't really write one. Um, but this is uh, attainable for all readers. Um, this is not something you have to be, you know, seminary level by any means. It is great for independent study and getting a little bit deeper into who God is. Uh, number four, this one is um, the New City Catechism, which has been put out by Tim and Kathy Keller and their church Redeemer in New York City. Uh, you might not know what a catechism is. It's simply a series of question and answers that we used to teach our children back in the good old days. We've kind of gotten away from that uh, many of the young theologians are trying to bring back. It's a wonderful way to study theology just by studying and um, uh, learning questions and answers that you can memorize uh, and write upon your heart. So the Lord wants to write His Word upon us, and studying these questions and answers is a great way to do that. You can see that there are 52 questions that means you can do one every week, memorize the question and answer. I promise you um, it will open your mind uh, to who the Lord truly is and increase your, your love for Him. Um, it's only $7.99. I mean, come on. Good stuff. Next, John MacArthur, Biblical Doctrine, a Systematic Summary of Bible Truth. <laughs> so you can see John MacArthur, he's not even going to mess with the, should I call it systematic or should I call it biblical? He's calling it a systematic summary of Bible truth. Uh, and John MacArthur, right, he's the Baptist hero. Anything John MacArthur write is, is sacred to all Baptists, so come on. It's uh, going to be a little bit of a, a deeper study for you, uh, but still I think anybody could pick it up and, and sift through it uh, in a helpful way. Getting a little bit deeper now, a Theology for the Church. This was our textbook we actually used in seminary by Daniel Aiken. He's the president there. Um, and Al Mohler, who's the president at Southern, uh, wonderful guys. Uh, what I love about this book is that it's a collection of many different writers and theologians. So a lot of theology books are just one author. But this comprises all the experts together in their certain field um, and also provides a rich history of theology within uh, each chapter. So, you know, what did people used to believe throughout the ages and how has false teaching come about and been combated for different theological uh, concepts? So there's that one. Uh, highly recommend that, uh, but it is deeper. We actually tried to, to start going through a theology class with our church uh, that we had to uh, put on hold and postpone, but we got through the first like three or four chapters of this, and I think our people were edified. Uh, anyways, uh, next is Systematic Theology. This is kind of one of the classic, classic books by Wayne Grudem. Uh, it's hefty. It is, it is a lot. Uh, but I think if you did really want to study and you wanted to take your theology to the next level, this is a great classic work uh, to really help you. Um, you want to be familiar with Grudem anyway if you're going to study systematic theology. He, he's kind of one of the, the big heads in the, in the um, realm of study. And almost done here, Institutes of the Christian Religion by John Calvin. I wanted to include an old one. Um, I, I heard uh, a pastor say, you know, not too long ago, any modern book you read, you want to read two two old books too. You know, any any book you read by a living person, you want to read two books by dead people, uh, because they, um, uh, ha you know, history repeats itself, and we want to be familiar with what's already taken place and what's already been written. Um, John Calvin was obviously a reformer, Protestant, uh, very helpful in framing 
our Christian doctrine in the language that we know today. Uh, so Institutes of the Christian Religion, hefty and, and you know tough wording, but wonderful classic work. And in these next two, I'll just skim briefly. Uh, Systematic Theology by Louis Burkhoff and then Christian Theology by Millard Erickson. Two more classic theology works. Uh, would recommend either of those. Have not spent a lot of time with either of those, but I know that they're trustworthy resources. And then finally, uh, this is the Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689. Six bucks. Um, gee, there's probably like 120 uh, statements of our doctrine and belief, and they're just quick little, you know, two-sentence statements uh, about what we believe as a church. This was developed by pastors in 1689. Uh, Charles Spurgeon held to the 1689 Baptist Confession, and so it would really help you study theology if you just took it uh, a few pages at a time. And it's a, it's, it's a real small book. Uh, it, it does not do a lot of explaining. It is just the raw doctrine uh, and the Bible uh, verses that, exp that, that they come from. And so I uh, would definitely recommend that. I've got a copy on my desk at work right now. All right, so that's all we got uh, for these today. And then I do have one more question that I want to answer. And I'm going to bring in the... Um, Man, it's already on extra large. Jeez. I don't know if you can read this or not, but um, someone else asked the question. Uh, connecting um, Jesus's, well, maybe I should just sort of phrase it this way. Is there any connection between Jesus's um, boyhood, right, uh, being left by his parents at the Passover week in Jerusalem at the temple there, um, and him being him teaching at the temple to what we read this week in John chapter two, um, and and I believe that there certainly is. Uh, let me let me go ahead and flip to that in Luke chapter four real quickly. I believe it's Luke. Nope, it's not Luke chapter three. Luke chapter two. Wrote it down wrong. All right, uh, verse forty-one. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard them were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why are you looking for me? Do you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand uh, the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured all treasured up all these things in her heart. Uh, so we see the only scene we have of Jesus' boyhood, adolescence. Scholars say he's probably around 12 years old. Uh, going to the temple uh, for Passover, it's likely that Joseph and Mary, good Christian, you know, Jewish, I should say, parents, took Christ to the uh, Passover feast every year in Jerusalem. This is where he was uh, blessed and prophesied, I think just right before that, uh, or maybe that's in the Gospel of Matthew, um, by uh, a prophet and then another prophetess. Um, and so Jesus had a lot of experience in the temple. Uh, and what, the question specifically said, you know, why three days? We have uh, Jesus' parents looking for him, 
from where they were, probably because it was about a three days journey uh, to get there. Um, and then we see in John chapter 2, a connection again, that I didn't read this this Sunday, but after Jesus clears the temple, the Jews ask him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and then in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews said, of course, it's taken 46 years, blah, 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 blah. You ain't going to rebuild this temple. How are you going to raise it up in three days? He was speaking, of course, about the temple of his body when he was to be raised from the dead. The disciples remembered this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So uh, there is a huge connection here, a wonderful connection. Uh, Jesus had been to the temple many times, but now at the very beginning of his ministry here in John chapter 2, he's already preaching the gospel. The, the number three is very important. There's a lot of important Bible numbers, and there's nothing really special about the number itself, uh, but rather what it is alluding to. Usually um, an Old Testament prophecy or a New Testament prophecy, something that you know is relating to something else. So you've got the number 40 that's used over and over again in the Bible, uh, the number three, the number seven. Um, th these are sort of Bible numbers, godly numbers, right? Uh, there's nothing actually special about the number three other than the fact that Jesus says after his parents were looking for him for three days in Jerusalem when he was a boy, uh, and then they found him, you know, teaching and learning in the synagogue, in the temple. Now here he's saying to the, to the Jews, after he's cleansed the temple, that he is going to rebuild the temple in three days. So from the earliest days, you know, Jesus' parents looking for him in the temple and taking three days, they're, they're already pointing to his death, burial, and resurrection. And even to a day when he would drive out these folks from the temple and um, would, uh, would make all things uh, new, a, a new body, the temple of his body that would be broken and then make us the temple, his church. Uh, so, so really, really good question and great connection. Wish I would have had more time to talk about that, that stuff on Sunday, but that's what this is all about. Um, so that's all I've got for you today. Well, there was one more question. Let me see if I can get my webcam back on. There was one more question, uh, which is a good question, and I, and I referenced it. Um, you know, does this text teach that selling things in church is bad or selling things in church is wrong, right? I, I think I said... Something along the lines of that's that's basically all we got out of the 20th century preachers, you know, um, which is a harsh saying. And there have been wonderful preachers, and I, I, I you know, take me tongue in cheek sometimes, right? But um, I, I don't know that I would immediately say that selling something in church is sin. Um, but at the very least, we can deduce that it is distasteful. Jesus was trying to determine the um, the heart of sin, the, the sin that was dwelling in the heart of these people. They were greedy for dishonest gain. They had made his father's house a house of trade. They were blaspheming the Lord's worship. And so, you know, if you've got church ladies that are trying to sell essential oils, right, or you've got like those old historic churches that will sometimes have a gift shop in the front of the church, or now the new modern age churches that are selling coffee, they've got like a whole coffee shop in the church. You know, I, I don't know if we can deduce and say automatically that it is sinful, um, but at the very least, it is distasteful, and we should be very, very careful about what we mix with the worship of God. Um, the worship of God is supreme, and I am all about trying new things and being flexible and getting rid of our traditions and, and things of that, that nature. But um, if God's worship is going to be represented in His church, in His house, in the people of God, we need to be very, very careful 
how we behave ourselves. We worship a big God, and so we worship in the way that He prescribes. Um, so that's where we use that regulative principle. You know, is it really necessary? Just because the Bible may not say directly, "Hey, you can sell books in church or don't sell books in church," you can sell coffee or don't sell coffee. Is it is it wise? Uh, at the very least, I would say it's distasteful. So, uh, good questions. This was a good first run. I'll try this again next week. Uh, Josh Fail will be preaching next week. Pray for him tonight. I'll see you at the church. We'll be doing a work day. Uh, still getting ready for the replant. So love you dearly. Praying for you. Hope you had a good fast yesterday. Uh, I will see you next time. Have a great day.